0: i'd like to say a few words about samadhi the process of samadhi purpose of samadhi the perfection of samadhi how it works so samadhi refers to that calm focused sustained attention that we can develop and it it brings along with it a very deep peace a deep very deep contentment that's not based on uh, external stimulus. It's not based on having the perfect sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. It's it's a happiness <coughs> or contentment that uh, that arises from within the heart. So the normal untrained mind is generally pretty dispersed. The energy is flowing out through the sense doors. Uh, what we see, especially through what we think, you know, all of our mental activity, we hear a sound, the attention flies out, uh, smells, taste. A lot of attention goes towards taste, taste that we like, taste that we don't like, the mental proliferations around all of these comfort of the body, physical sensations, uh, seeking that which is comfortable, pleasant, trying to get away from that which is unpleasant. So the mind very easily becomes dispersed through the sense doors and then loses a lot of its uh, innate energy through being dispersed. And it's based upon a basic delusion that the happiness that we're looking for is going to be found somehow outside, externally. So what the Buddha is saying is true happiness, or lasting happiness is possible but we tend to look for it in the wrong places. So that's why we go through this sometimes very rigorous training of trying to wean the mind off of searching for happiness through the senses, through sensory stimulation. and We take something very simple like um, breath, repeating a word, some sort of meditation object that we can use like an anchor to keep coming back to, keep coming back to. Whenever the mind goes off, we just keep bringing it back. Eventually, the mind starts to realize that, well, whenever I run off, I get brought back, and it's kind of a hassle. So why don't I just stay close to this meditation object? And, and then we start to find, well, actually, it's more peaceful and pleasant just to, to be here in the present. It's a very deep habit that is looking for happiness outside. We're in the future, the past, we're trying to figure things out, but but just the the simplicity of the mind resting within itself is something so close to home that we usually just overlook how great it is. But it does take a a bit of retraining of our habits. spending time in meditation, spending effort not just sitting and walking but through the whole day trying to to keep the mind close to whatever our anchor is. So gradually the mind starts to develop a happiness which is a natural outcome of the mind being focused. And this type of happiness is not something that needs to be feared. this This type of happiness is not something that we have to worry about being attached to, because it's actually going to be leading deeper and deeper into meditation. It's important to enjoy meditation and so if happiness starts to come up, a sense of being at peace, a sense of being quietude then it's it's wise to use that, in a sense, as the carrot, to lead one deeper and deeper as the mind starts to become a bit more focused, say in meditation, in sitting meditation, then the sounds sensory stimulation the the uh, the pain or sensations in the body they start to feel further and further away it's an interesting thing about pain we tend to associate pain with the body like physical pain but even physical pain is basically a mental phenomenon. so when the minds very calm it's like the physical pain disappears when it's restless, then sometimes even five minutes sitting can can feel very agitating or painful. So the energy of the mind, as it becomes more calm, gradually pulls in, away from the dispersion of the senses. It starts to rest closer and closer to the meditation object. At this time, the mind can start to become bright, have a sensation of brightness to it. This is what we call a... Pali, you can call it a nimitta, but it it is like a reflection of the mind's innate brightness. And And when our mind calms down enough, it's like the innate brightness of our mind can start to shine forth a bit. initially, it's just a bit of a dull brightness. So then sometimes the question arises, well, what is this? Should I pay attention to this? Is this a problem? Say, well, at that stage, just ignore it. It's a good sign. It's usually a sign that the mind is, is becoming more peaceful. But what gave rise to that was... a a continuity of awareness on our meditation object, continuity of mindfulness on our breath, on the word, physical sensations. We're just staying with that over and over again. So then even if um, brightness starts to arise, then just, just be aware that it's there, but you don't have to worry about it. Just stay with the meditation object. When the mind starts to become a bit peaceful, you can get other phenomena arising as well, sometimes physical, sometimes mental. There are many ways that we can be distracted from the meditation. Sometimes you might get uh, images arising, very clear images, not, uh, not just average memories. But again, anything that arises like that, whether it's inspiring or, or fear-inspiring, you just set it aside, just ignore it, keep coming back to the meditation. If it's something which is very fascinating, then, and it pulls the tension away, then very quickly we've, we've cut off the cause and condition for the mind to be peaceful. Which is staying with the meditation object, and then the mind can, the whole meditation can start to fall apart. Sometimes you get really uh, what one teacher calls a firework nimittas. Uh you know, bright colors popping in, and uh, it's easy to think, oh, wow, this is really special, We're really getting somewhere now had this happen, and then this, and then swirls of this color, and then bright blues, and then... But the reality is that's just a distraction. So any, if any of that happens, then just ignore it, no matter how interesting it seems. You just ignore it, and you come back to the meditation. Come back to the meditation object. Stay with that. Sometimes you can get uh, physical sensations arising, strange perceptions to do with the body. I remember when this first started happening to me, I'd be meditating, and then after a while I'd have the perception that I was leaning like 45 degrees to the side. And then I'd open my eyes and I'd be sitting straight up. That was strange. I close my eyes and after a while I'd have the perception I was leaning way off to the side. I'd open my eyes. And or other times, I'd have a perception that my arms were behind my back, or or, um, or that there are ants crawling on my body, and any of these things are just a uh, they're just a mental perception that can arise. It's like when the mind starts to calm down a bit, it has to find a new balance, and in the process, uh, some of the ways that we perceive. Sensations can can go off balance a bit, so it it takes a bit. Uh, sometimes it takes a bit of practice before uh, perceptions start to come in line with a new level of calm. There was one time I was meditating in Thailand in that early retreat, that first retreat, and I had some of these perceptions arising. Things like you know just my imagination thinking that I had ants on my body so I was sitting in meditation and here it came again this feeling of having ants on my body and I felt like well, I'm just just gonna be patient just ignore it stay with the meditation just note the sensations stay with the breath I kept getting stronger and stronger Felt like whole body was covered with ants, biting ants. Just be patient, stay with it. It's just a perception. Felt like, well, oh, this is getting really intense. And I opened my eyes, and my body was covered with ants. <laughs> biting ants. So. So that. As the mind then becomes more and more calm and more and more familiar with the meditation object, then we reach a stage of what's called access samadhi, which is when what we know as the five hindrances have completely ceased. So, in brief, the five hindrances are sensual desire, so the the mind kind of leaving its place of stillness to reach out mentally for some desire object, or anger or ill will, for the mind leaving its place of, of peace, you know, reaching out with aversion, for dullness, a lack of clarity, you know, the restlessness of mind that it won't settle down, or a sense of remorse that arises from, from past bad karma that we've done, or just a sense of doubt, a lack of clarity, uh, a lack of um, conviction, a bit of confusion in what we're doing. So when when all of these obstacles, all of these tricks of the mind have settled down enough, then the mind's just focused on the meditation object. Right? Becomes very content just to be with that object let's say it's the breath and so with every breath you're right there with it breathing in, breathing out, the mind feels very content, stable gradually the thoughts will will completely disappear thoughts become shorter and shorter as we give them less and less attention just arises a blip and then they're gone any of the strange nematists if we don't give them attention then they just go away by themselves and the only problem with those is if we react to them either by giving them attention through fascination or giving them attention through fear but if we just say whatever it is that's fine covered with biting ants that's fine fireworks that's fine and I just keep coming back just keep coming back then then all of that will start to calm down as well and then usually what happens is that at this point is that you get that brightness and that's, that's the real important nimitta. And that starts becoming more and more bright. It's like the mind becomes increasingly spacious and bright and light and happy. But still, don't get distracted by going to the light. Don't start watching the light because this will be a cause for the meditation to degenerate. Keep staying with the the breath, and the breath will become more and more subtle, and the more subtle that it becomes, the more mindfulness it takes to stay with it. This is one of the aspects of mindfulness of breathing. Paying attention to the breath as a meditation object, because the more relaxed we get the more difficult the meditation object becomes so it's a real challenge to stay with it and we need less and less oxygen we need less and less air coming in so the breath becomes very very refined eventually the brightness starts to become so Engulfing, that we can make the conscious decision to to just take that as the meditation object and let go of the breath and just take that. But that takes even more mindfulness. It's even a, a more refined meditation object than the refined breath. So again, if we go to it too quickly, then it's easy. Uh, for the meditation to fall apart, thinking will start to creep in, the mind will start to wander. So as we reach the point where we are ready to take that animita as the meditation object, then we just forget about the breath. And we just focus on that brightness. Focus on the center of that brightness. And if we're able to, to sustain that awareness, it will become increasingly bright. And it's not something that we can rush. But it will be something that will be pleasant. It's a, it, it's a pleasant meditation object. It's bright, it's this sense of happiness coming out. And so we just try to stay with it as long as possible. Stay with it as long as possible. If we reach a stage where the, the uh, energy of the mind starts to wear off, that's fine, then we just go back to the breath. But if the mind is is very focused on that, it will become increasingly bright and spacious. And at some point, what happens is that the meditation Object and that which is watching the meditation object start to become more and more close together until they actually unify. And at this point, this is what we refer to as jhana, absorption. So the the mind becomes absorbed into the meditation object. Uh, it gets beyond that uh, dualism of a, of that which is watching and that which is being watched. And at that point, the mind just becomes unified. In the words of the Buddha, boundless, immeasurable. It's like we temporarily get in touch with the innate potential of the mind. During this time, there's no sense uh, operation possible. You won't be feeling anything, can't hear anything, smell, taste, touch, see. So that's why you can't be in jhana while you're doing walking meditation or, or doing driving meditation. Why we're in a deep state of concentration like that, because the mind is unified, it's impossible to do any insight meditation. It's impossible to contemplate or investigate. It's impossible to um, to say that I'm going to stay in this state for a particular length of time. Or I'm going to go deeper now. Or it's time to end. Or if the question arises, is this jhana? Then you can be sure that it's not jhana. But due to the, the strength, of causes and conditions uh, that we put into the meditation, the state of meditation will last for a particular length of time and then it will end naturally. And this is the real window for insight. Coming out of jhana at a time where, where, where suddenly the senses are functioning again, and this is the this is the time where the mind is both still and flowing. it's very established in the present moment very peaceful has a lot of power and brightness and yet at the same time we're able to contemplate and we can we we can sense things so we can Uh, we can investigate the nature of reality. And that's why the Buddha said the cause and condition for seeing things as they truly are is Samadhi. So this is the most important relationship between Samadhi and insight. So this is what we mean by the perfection of Samadhi. And if one is able to experience this to some degree, then it's, it's such a powerful experience that, from that point on, at least you'll know that no matter how good or bad life is in samsara, there is an alternative. And it's only really when we experience that deep happiness that comes from, from samadhi, that we're able to wean ourselves off from looking for happiness or satisfaction externally. Okay. At this point, I want to leave some time for questions before we break for lunch. If anyone has any questions about anything that we've talked about so far,
1: Yeah.
0: How do you this practice with practice with an insight practice. Oh, I think if one's practicing correctly, it is an integrated practice. Okay. Uh, if you if you look at a lot of a lot of real insight practice, then for it to work, for the mind really to have insight and be in balance, it takes a lot of calm being present. For example, I think that's one reason why um, the retreat culture has developed, because a retreat is an extremely special set of conditions which are basically conditions that give rise to Samadhi. If it was really only insight then why create any special conditions? And you can just do it while it's noisy and everyone's talking and all that. I think people have to to find out for themselves what actually works. What actually does give rise to insight. I mean it's my own experience that Insight and, and Samadhi, or concentration practice, tend to go hand in hand right from the beginning. The, the more calm we have, the more clarity we have. The more clarity we have, the more we can let go. You know, see things as they truly are. We're able to let go of attachment. Uh, the insight starts to happen naturally. The more we let go, the more peaceful we are. And when we do sit down to meditate, there are fewer and fewer obstacles. The mind goes deeper and deeper into peace. It has even more clarity and power from the samadhi. It comes out, you investigate more. And at least in the forest tradition, this is the the way of practice. You just go back and forth between the two uh, all day long. Sometimes the mind will incline towards being peaceful, and then you just allow it to, to rest in that state of concentration, or you know, however deep the concentration is, just allow it to rest for as long as it wants. Other times, it will just naturally feel inquiring, and it won't want to, to try to understand this. Well, what is the nature? Where, where are the attachments? Um, where are the identifications? What is blocking a deeper happiness? then you just keep, keep at it. But if we only do that investigation, the mind becomes really tired. And eventually it's just thinking. It's not real insight. So real insight is actually a very silent seeing. You just see something. Maybe it's maybe something that we've seen our whole life, but suddenly we see it in a completely new way see it as it truly is. And we don't have to think about it. The thoughts may arise afterwards, but the actual insight will be very direct. But if it seems like the investigation is becoming more and more thinking, then it's a time just to go back and make the mind calm. Because the, the thinking type of contemplation doesn't have a lot of power. It's just kind of scratching the surface. It's going, it's scratching in the right area, but it's not going very deep. So, so then it's beneficial just to go and make them calm and still. And while we're doing that, we don't have to worry that, oh, I should be doing insight practice because, you know, we we need that as well, just to be in balance. Human being needs that that peace and calm that serenity. Both. Both just for general happiness, but also as a base for developing insight. Um,
1: I, I have to admit that, that even after quite a few years of meditating and i retreats, I don't have not from John experiences too much. Uh, pretty rare. And mostly I'm working with hindrances. So I'm wondering if you could talk about how that process data
0: insight or what kind of insight occurs on that side of the equation. Or am I that having a chance at insight if I'm not working with the Yeah. Well like Samadhi, insight is is a graduated path. So there are all different levels of insights. I mean we all have to have some insight in order to want to sit meditation <laughs> we'll have to have some uh, wisdom operating that would draw us to the practice in the first place uh, so so the insights will, will be very gradual but the, you can't rush the process and even if jhana seems miles away still that's fine that's not a problem it's really not our business. You know, our business is, okay, what's happening right here, right now, and attend to that. And if it is hindrances, then, okay, well, there's there's a huge array of tools that we have of, of working with hindrances, of responding to hindrances, balancing them out with different types of meditations or contemplations, a way of looking at them. Uh, and these will all... These will all be conducive to learning about ourselves, under, understanding ourselves better. Different
1: levels of insight.
0: Whole, Yeah, it's a whole range of different levels of insight. To go into all the different tools that we have of working with all the different five, with the five hindrances, that would take another few days to talk about. Yeah, I realize that was-
2: um, Maybe you could comment on something that Ajahn Mahabhua said. I think it relates to what Doug says, and it's been helpful for me. He said something like, uh, samadhi develops wisdom. But if you can't do that, then... Wisdom develops samadhi, which develops wisdom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for me, it's been really helpful in terms of uh, making commitments to uh, returning to the anchor, for example, and uh, wanting or thinking my practice should be about something else. And uh, I just getting that there's a lot of, for me, my practice, it seems like there's been a lot of... uh, I really appreciate the insights of of just seeing what's in the way of samadhi, just just getting to know that level of the mind that somehow chooses not samadhi over and over again. Um, I, I'm trying to really appreciate seeing that. Right. Yeah.
0: We have this potential to rest peacefully and calm and content, be perfectly content not getting anything we have we all have that. We all have enough right now to be perfectly happy. But why is it <laughs> that that our our minds pull up pull part of the mind pulls the other part of the mind away from that. You know, what is it? What's happening? What's that process? So yeah, that's all ripe areas right inside. And the whole the whole process of developing calm and, and insight. It's a very individual thing. Even in even in the forest tradition with the Thais who, who generally it's a bit easier for developing Samadhi. It's very rare to find someone who can just only do Samadhi until it's well developed and then do it. And to everyone. It's a combination of the two. And and that's, that's really I think um, it's just very realistic because we're always encountering situations where we have to use our wisdom, countering obstacles, internal and external. And we have to use a sense of insight and wisdom. You know, if this is perceived as a problem or as an obstacle, then, then why is that? What is it? What's where is it arising from? And in in terms of when deep insight will happen, when jhana will happen, when nipana will happen, Ajahn Chah says, look, it's not our business. He says, it's just like you plant a tree and how fast it grows, it's not our business. Uh, there's causes <coughs> and conditions that are beyond our control. Uh, you know, we have this soil right here. Uh, for some people, it's you know, It's fantastic black-gold compost. For other people, it's kind of dry, but whatever. You know, We plant a tree, and we, we try to keep the weeds away. You know, We, we can keep uh, keep it watered. But how fast it grows is really out of our control. And if we try to stretch it, we kill it. <laughs> so meditation is the same one. Uh, I
1: have a question about the idea of the primary object and return to the primary object. Uh, sometimes there's a way in which the primary object is Then there's a lot of sound, then there's a lot of light. And um, sometimes it seems that in that return to the primary object that and this can be worked out for it um, that there's that sense of a sort of willful or self-immediate, there's a sort of artificial turn of primary object, And it, um, so that, so I'm not exactly sure how to, how to work with that. I think I'm working much more with just trying to stay with whatever arises as a sensation. And maybe it is the doubting voice that when I hear that little, return to the primary object um, something else sort of in a sense of self or sense of something and there's a okay so what am I supposed to be doing? But I think might more genuine just to stay with what is the immediate
0: presenting mm-hmm. object. Okay, well let's say the mine is slipped away to paying attention to something else. So the the first Step is just to be aware of that, fully accept it, whatever it is. Say, okay, we've been pulled away. Um, this is what's happening. This is what I'm aware of. If it's a the sound, then just fully accept it. Okay, there's a loud noise there. Um, if we get first to it, then we just compound the problem. Okay, it's just a noise. And but then, as part of right effort then you come back to the main meditation. But, again, it depends on on what type of meditation you do. So that's why it's very important when we sit down to meditate to to be very clear in our minds, okay, what type of meditation are we going to do? Uh, So that doubt doesn't arise midstream, uh, where we're actually doing that. Because if we're doing certain types of meditation that aren't trying to develop um, one point in this with the main meditation object then you just keep going from, from object to object whatever arises in the present moment a physical sensation, uh, the breath, the, the sound, uh, breath, a thought, memory and you jump around like that and if that's the type of meditation that we're doing then the only responsibility we have is to be absolutely clear aware of whatever is happening but if we're doing a meditation that does have um, it gives a certain preference to a particular type of sensation for example the sensation of the breath then then we we just have to be clear that this is what we're going to do we're doing mindfulness of breathing and so then uh, when the mind does go away it's our responsibility to bring it back and the amount of Willpower or energy that it takes to bring it back again is, is a fertile ground for insight because we'll get a lot of insights into our personality and how, how we deal with that. You know, we might get frustrated and pull it back, so, oh, wait a minute, that's not, uh, that's not helping peace of mind. Or if we bring it back um, with too much willpower, then it's like the controlling mind starts to get in and it can actually reinforce itself. But if we don't have enough energy then it's like the mind can be allowed just to skip around. so it takes it takes some effort I mean, it takes right effort and uh, certainly it doesn't happen without effort. and uh, one of the one of the uh, names that the Buddha gave his teaching was the, "wiriyawada," which means the, the path of effort. So it wasn't something that just happens by by itself, it, or or is given to us through divine intervention, but something that through our human beings' own effort that that it starts to happen. But again, it's finding that right balance. It's always finding the right balance in in effort, you know, not, not in our relationship to the effort. So it takes effort, but but if somehow we we feel like we're putting forth effort, but it's increasing stress, then we have to look at well, what's our relationship with that effort, because it uh, it should be something which, well, when it's when it's working well, it's something which um, is energizing and relaxing at the same time.
1: Could you? Tell us your experience on working with lay people, people with the nine-to-five job, families. What's required to develop? Samadhi, the way you describe it it sounds like you know, ten minutes a day isn't quite (laughs) (laughs) good. Long retreats. you you work with lay people.
0: Yes, 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 certainly. Um, Well, as I said, deep inside jhana, we don't have to think of it in terms of, okay, well, I'm going to be experiencing all in this lifetime. It's like even if it takes a 100 lifetimes or a 100,000 lifetimes, (laughs) it's not really our business. But the important thing is just to keep going in the right direction. And if you look at the Eightfold Path, uh, it's really only... The final factor of right samadhi that's that's difficult to practice in everyday life, and even that's possible. Right? But all of the other factors are very easy to, to integrate, and they're not concerned with sitting down with their eyes closed. You know, even we're getting into right mindfulness—just every every move that we make, every time we stretch our arm, every time we get up, every time we we're, uh, we're about to speak. Uh, opportunities for establishing mindfulness and bringing, our, bringing our awareness back to the present. What are we doing? <coughs> establishing it on the body with intentions, uh, with our reactions uh, to, our, to what's happening throughout the day. Being aware of our mind states throughout the, t- throughout the whole day. So even if, even if we don't have that much time to sit down and meditate you can still develop good samadhi as well, but it's a matter of uh, while we're doing other things, bringing the mind back, you know, having some some sort of anchor that we can go to throughout the day. And maybe the breath is too refined, so uh, choose a meaningful word. In, in Thailand, the main one is, is phuto, which just uh, recollecting the name of the Buddha and just repeating that in one's heart. And so there are many times throughout the day which, say if we're standing in line, or if we're driving the car, um, we, we can just uh, develop concentration Why we're doing that, mindfulness and concentration. It's always going to be a very small percentage of people who, who are in monasteries, although it's a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but there are, there are many, many opportunities for, for developing uh, the Eightfold Path in daily life and mostly it just takes a um, sense of commitment first of understanding what it's all about knowledge of, of what it is and then commitment and persistence and uh, more lot can be done But if that doesn't work, then become a monk. (laughs) Okay, uh, it's actually time to have the meal now. So, in developing meditation, developing mindfulness and concentration. We try to make everything into meditation we start from a very simple place sitting still with our eyes closed and then you move into walking meditation and uh, changing of postures and one of the things that we do quite often in life is eat so if we can learn how to make eating into meditation then we've got lots and lots more time to meditate so the whole process of eating again is uh, we can learn a lot about ourselves. It's very instructive, uh, our relationship to uh, to seeing the food, uh, to thinking about the food, uh, to when there's a, a table full of food, um, the perceptions that arise. Long before we've tasted anything, we're already developing a, a quite a relationship with the table full of food. Uh, it's just shapes and colors. But very quickly we project, oh, well, this is going to be delicious. This is going to give me pleasure. Uh, I like this. Therefore it's good. So <laughs> very quickly we go a long way from the, the, the simple reality of shapes and colors and, and just watching how, how the habit of desire comes in. So We need food to eat. And it's okay to, to, to fulfill hunger, but how much do we add on top of that? And, and what's the whole relationship with food? And so we can learn a lot about ourselves that way, because normally how we relate to food is very similar to how we relate to the whole sensory world.